Let me go ahead and pray for us as we start here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful, beautiful, uh, cool Kansas evening. We thank you for the chance to gather at the end of this Lord's Day and continue to worship and to learn and to grow as believers. Lord, we pray that as we work our way through this, these sessions on nurturing a culture of evangelism, that you would not just have this as something else for us to go through, um, but help it to be something that really continues and builds in our uh, church plant a passion for evangelism. Let this be something that is a marker of our church, that we are not just people who talk about the gospel, but we talk about the gospel um, with everyone we meet, believer and unbeliever alike. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, tonight as we look at some of the things that can keep us from sharing our faith, to to name the things that might um, be challenges, and to uh, be committed to um, overcoming those challenges and working to grow in, in faithfulness and in fruitfulness in this area. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you all for coming. It's really good to see you all here tonight. Um, we uh, are um, in our second session of four on kind of nurturing a culture of evangelism is the, the, the theme that we're looking at. And, and as I explained last time, the, the, the name for that is very intentional. The, our vision for this is not that it's to give you a script that you can all go out and you know use in a new church program we're launching. It's nothing like that. Really, we, we think that this is something that the church, um, at its best, has always been committed to, has always been marked by. And so if Kirk of the Plains is to be a faithful church, we need to be an evangelistic church. And so we want to walk through what that looks like and how we can grow in that um, as a church body. We only have four sessions, so there's a lot that we're not going to get to cover. But hopefully the things we talk about will help to kind of move us along in some of these areas. Um, let me just mention a few housekeeping items before we uh, begin tonight. Um, we're going to try to wrap up by 8 o'clock. So at 7.45 in an hour, we'll stop wherever we are and spend at least 15 minutes in prayer. Uh, we've already mentioned how important prayer is, but we don't want to just give lip service to prayer. We want to pray. And so we're going to make sure we have time for that tonight. The plan is for me to maybe talk for about 40 minutes and then have about 20 minutes discussion, and then we can have some time for prayer. So if I can keep on track, we can do that. Um, so because of that, what we're going to do is uh, I'll start off just by kind of sharing what I prepared, and then I have a few questions that I want us to kind of think through privately and then discuss together. So if you have questions, comments, thoughts, um, as I'm kind of talking, just jot those down. Everybody should have a piece of paper and there should be pens going around. If you don't have one, feel free to grab one. And uh, I encourage you to take notes and, and to use these as just encouragements to pray about evangelism and to talk about it in your families as well. Um, let me just give a quick review of what we did last time and then a preview of what we're going to be doing in the next two sessions. Last time we really tried to define our terms a little bit and talk about what is a culture of evangelism. What would that look like? And we went to Acts 11 and the church in Antioch really to kind of flesh that out. And we also talked about what are some of the motivations for evangelism. Why should we want a culture of evangelism? And we talked about four things really. You know, God commands us to do it. Um, evangelism is necessary for the health of the church. Evangelism is necessary for the salvation of sinners. And evangelism is necessary for the honor and glory of God. And we kind of walked through each of those things. If you weren't here last week, um, we're, we're recording these. And so that's already up on the website. You can get and, and listen to that. And we'll be recording these. So if you have to miss a future one, you can go back and listen to those. Um, I did want to mention as well, 
Um, we're going to just re record these sessions, but when we get to the discussion point, if people have things they want to share, stories or encounters that are more personal, feel free to still do that, and we just won't upload that to the website. So don't let that the microphone in the room keep you from sharing prayer requests or things. We can we can keep that offline, but the the content then can be available for all of us to to go back to. Um, in our next sessions, just remember we'll have about a month here where we won't meet. And uh, then we'll pick back up in the beginning of July and have two, our last two sessions back-to-back. -back. And there we'll be really trying to walk through, okay, practically in the home, how can we be doing evangelism? Um, how can we be doing that as individuals in our workplaces, with our families, with neighbors, that type of thing? And then we'll wrap up in the final session by really saying, okay, now as a church, what are things that we can do? to really be pursuing uh, evangelism and nurturing that culture of evangelism. So that will be um, hopefully more and more kind of practical and tangible. And also in those sessions, I'll be asking for more input from you guys of things that you've done, things you've seen done well or done poorly, and we'll just try to learn <coughs> and work through that as a group. So um, I hope you all can make it to those. Uh, but tonight we want to talk about a very important question, and that is, what keeps us from evangelism? Um, Barna did a, a poll a couple of years ago, and 81% of evangelical Christians said, I know I'm supposed to share my faith. Now, not everyone recognizes that, and we'll talk about that some tonight, but for most Christians, and I would guess that for our church in particular, conservative, reformed, evangelicals, we know that evangelism is something that, that we're called to do. Um, and yet... Some of us are pursuing that faithfully. Some of us are not. Many of us, all of us struggle with that in different ways. So if we know it's, we're supposed to do it, well, what keeps us from doing that? What, what are the obstacles that stand in our path? And there are a lot of things we can mention. And probably for each one of us, there will be different things that come to mind. But I want to just kind of think in terms of two big categories. And I'm going to give just a couple of examples under each of those. I think the first kind of thing to think about is public obstacles. Right? What are things that are part of our culture part of our, you know, our, our state, our region, our, our nation, whatever, that make it a little bit harder to share our faith. We want to walk through a few of those tonight. And then we'll talk also about personal issues. Um, there, it's always been hard for people to share their faith. Um, and it's not just because of things out there. As, as you know, when you kind of come face to face with evangelism, it brings out your true priorities, your fears, and all of that. And so, um, really, evangelism pushes us to examine our own hearts, and so we want to talk about some of those things. But let's start with the public obstacles. And um, I have a couple of things I wanted to, to draw out here, but let me just mention, kind of as a, as a caveat first off, um, it can be very tempting when we talk about evangelism and sharing our faith to, um, to think that, you know, if we just lived in a different culture or a different point in history, you know, if we were in Guatemala, if we were in ancient Rome, wherever it is, you know, the culture's different and it, it would somehow be easier than it is here. And uh, I've, Sheree and I have found being at Puritan Seminary, um, there's, it's, it's a very diverse community. As Americans, we're minorities. So we get to talk to people from all over the world. And we've not yet found this magical culture where sharing the gospel is so easy and everyone's just open and receptive to it. Every single person we talk to will talk about things in their culture that make it very hard to share your faith and very hard to be a Christian. And they'll also talk about things in their culture that open doors for the gospel. And so I think what's important to realize is that um, there are things in our culture that um, make it harder to share your faith. 
But there's also things in our culture that make it easier to share your faith. And that's going to be true no matter where you go. And you look at the early church, we can look at it and think, oh, wow, if we were just in that context where people, you know, religion was part of life and people, you know, um, were willing to talk about their beliefs, that would be so much easier. But when you study the history, you find not only did they have their own challenges, they actually had many of the same challenges we do today. So as I talk about these things, um, I, I just want to encourage you, um, we need to face these things and, and, and know, okay, what are going to be the challenges we face? But don't let them paralyze you. And don't, and don't think um, that somehow we're the first generation of Christians that has to have this kind of conversation and say, okay, what are the things that are pushing against us in terms of sharing our faith? The reality is that the kingdoms of this world are the kingdoms um, that, are, that are controlled by darkness, right? Satan does not want the gospel to advance in any way, shape, or form. And so every culture is going to be opposed to the gospel, Right? That's just the nature of things. So we're just asking, what are some ways in our Western 21st century Kansas culture that there are obstacles to the gospel? And um, here are three things that, that um, come to my mind. I think the first kind of big hurdle we have to overcome today is just the, the culture of tolerance that is out there. And, and with that comes a, a, a kind of absorbed belief in just relativism. Um, People um, see that there are many different belief systems, many different religions, and uh, the thought that any one of those religions could say, well, this is the true religion, is just automatically kind of offensive to, to many of us today, right? It makes us uncomfortable to say, this way is the only way. The exclusivity of Christianity just rubs our culture the wrong way. And... Um, and, uh, and, and this is not just something that's true out, kind of out there in the culture, you know, with atheists or something. It's true for many of us uh, in, in the church as well. Um, there was another survey that was done, I think, just last year. There were a lot of articles written about it um, where they were asking kind of evangelicals um, about views of evangelism, practices of evangelism. And one of the really surprising finds for many people was that I think it was 51 percent. It was right around half. Um, of millennial evangelicals, so my generation, many of us in this room, said it's not appropriate to evangelize. And these are not people who would say, I don't believe in the Bible, or I don't believe in Jesus, or I don't believe in God. You know, they would affirm all these evangelical tenets. Many of them, they're going to evangelical churches. And yet, when it comes time to say, here is the gospel, and I'm calling you as an unbeliever to respond to that gospel, they said, uh, we, we, we can't really do that. Because it, it strikes even these evangelical Christians as being too imperialistic, too arrogant, um, too kind of self-assured. And so this is something that's very much there in the church. And I think even for many of us that would say, okay, no, we recognize that the gospel has a claim on everyone. Experientially, we often find ourselves kind of doubting or questioning, well, you know, can I really ask them this question or make this statement to them? Because isn't that going to come across as just arrogant and, and everything? And so I think this, this barrier of, of tolerance and relativism is, is a big one to overcome. There's a lot we could say about this. I'm really just going to kind of raise some issues and make a few comments, but there's more we can talk about maybe in our discussion um, as well. But um, I, I think what's helpful to, to realize and to try to help our unbelieving friends realize as well is that while relativism sounds great, 
First off, no, no one is really a relativist, and that's a very good thing. Um, if I walk into a room and say, um, I think Hitler was a great guy, hopefully everyone in the room feels very uncomfortable, right? Because we all think, well, no, Hitler's not a great guy, you know? And you can't just say, well, you know, I personally would not try to exterminate an entire group of people, but everybody has a different path. You know, if you say something like that, everyone including the, the most kind of relativist person, is going to feel not, not just uncomfortable, but maybe even angry. You, you can't say that these things that have been done or these beliefs that have been held are somehow morally neutral, right? This is wrong. And, and even in our culture where we're very polarized and people don't agree about what's wrong, people still agree that certain beliefs, certain behaviors are kind of beyond the pale. They're not acceptable. So just take the hot-button issue of homosexual marriage. Right? People disagree vehemently. And yet it's true for most people that they would say, um, they would either say it is not right for, um, for people to be, for, for homosexual marriage to exist, or they would say it's not right to deny others the freedom to get married if they want to, even if they're homosexual. They may disagree about which is right, but they do agree that one is acceptable and one is not. So relativism um, really doesn't, is not what people hold to at the end of the day. I think the other side of this that's connected with it is that um, relativism is attractive because it presents itself as a way of respecting all our different beliefs, right, and behaviors. You know, we've each got a different culture and religions and things, and so if we just say, look, we can't make claims about which one is right and which one's wrong. They're all just different ways of moving us to the same thing. It sounds like I'm respecting what all of us believe, what all of us hold to. Um, but the reality is, you're actually disrespecting what all of us hold and believe to. Um, if I'm a Muslim, and he's a Hindu, and he's a Christian, and you know we go around the room and we all have very different beliefs and ideas, um, what you find is that not only are religions not saying the same thing, they're not even aiming for the same thing. I was listening to an apologist um, the other night, and he was answering this question from a, a student who was asking, you know, how can we say that you know, Christianity is the only religion? It's a, it's a tough sell in our culture. And he was making the point that, you know, people will say, well, all religions lead to God. But um, if, if you're, if, in many of these Eastern religions, that's, that's, that's not the goal. The goal is to find that you yourself are God, or that all of us are God, or if you don't believe in a God, then life is just about having happiness and maybe usefulness and you know we all have different goals and aims different ethics different beliefs when you actually tease it out what, what you have to say if you hold to relativism is what you as a Muslim or you as a Christian think you believe is not really very important instead what we're going to do is pick and choose certain things out of your religion pull them out of the whole and kind of reassemble them into this generic religion and that's really what's important well which is more imperialistic to say I believe this you believe that now let's find the truth or to say, no, 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 you don't really know what's important or what you believe. Let me choose you know, this aspect of your ethics and that aspect of your mythology and this part of your metaphysics is all going to be kind of pulled out and presented as a generic religion. Um, so I think tolerance, while it has an appeal in our context, really falls apart when you begin to just ask questions and push people to be a little more consistent. So I think that's an obstacle we need to recognize, and that's something that we as Christians need to graciously, and can I, can I stress this, because this is an area of our culture that 
I think if we, that has never been challenged for many people. They just assume this because everybody they've ever met has assumed this. So sometimes just asking them to connect the dots will help them to see that there are dots here that can't be connected. And so I think that's something to, to think about, to keep in mind. Um, connected with that, okay, let's say that you and the person you're talking to agree we can't all be right. right? So someone has to be right, someone has to be wrong. Um, what is the truth? We have another ch- challenge in our culture. Um, a hundred years ago, if you were in, in Butler County, Kansas in 1919, chances are every single person in the county would say, I believe in the Bible, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus. Um, perhaps there would be a small group of Native Americans who would hold the tribal religions or something, or maybe some Jews if you were in an urban area, probably not Butler County. Um, but the vast majority of people are going to be on the, the same page very generally about kind of what you believe and how people should live and things like that. Now, before you start looking back, again, think about what that means in terms of challenges. It means every person you talk to thinks, I'm a Christian. You know, We had the opportunity that they didn't have of saying there's a lot of people who would know I'm not a Christian, and we can now just engage really with their spiritual state. But the challenge we have is if we go knocking on doors, um, we can't just say, if you die tonight and God asks you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? That question may not make a lot of sense to them, depending on where they're coming from in terms of their beliefs. There's a lot more kind of prep work that might need to be done. Because you can easily find, even in a place like Butler County, Kansas, right, um, Islam and Hinduism and Baha'i and you know all sorts of beliefs and views. And for many people, they don't hold any one religion. It's a mishmash of different things that they've absorbed from their background and from online and education and and all sorts of places. So we live in a very pluralist context, which means there's a lot of things to deal with. And I think a challenge very practically, especially, you know, some of some of us are the kind that, you know, like wrestling with these ideas and if it has an ism you get really excited, you love isms. Um, Then there's normal people who are just trying to, you know, care for their kids and do their jobs and things like that. And so they say, oh man, I have to somehow master what all the different branches of Hinduism believe and are about, and that thought is overwhelming, and it can paralyze you when it comes to sharing your faith. You know, the Jehovah's Witness knocks on your door, and you're thinking, what's the difference between a Jehovah's Witness and a Mormon? I can't, I can't remember. And so you just don't share your faith, right? So how do we overcome that? That's a real challenge. Well, the first thing we do is, I would say, is do aim as much as you're able, with the time you've had and the abilities God's given you, to learn about non-Christian Beliefs, right? That's part of why we had the class on Jehovah's Witness to say, okay, this is the situation probably all of us have been in where someone comes knocking on your door and you're not sure how to respond because you don't know what they believe or how they live. So let's let's walk through that as a group. Those are very helpful opportunities. Take advantage of those. Um, do some research on your own. You know, listen to someone like a James White or a Ravi Zacharias who talks to a huge variety of people and just hear. What kind of arguments do they bring up? What kind of things do they believe? That can really help you in sharing your faith. But you will not master all of these things. And if that becomes your focus, or if you begin to feel like, I can't talk to a Muslim unless I know exactly what Islam teaches and the Quran says and all of that, um, you're going to miss a lot of opportunities for evangelism. So while I would say, yeah, aim for a broad knowledge of non-Christian beliefs, aim for a deep knowledge of Christianity itself. 
That's really the heart and the core. And this is the beautiful thing. Um, maybe you're like me, and when you hear someone talk about the need for evangelism, your heart kind of sinks a little bit because it feels like one more thing to do, right? One more aspect of the Christian life to be doing that I'm not doing now. Um, but the reality is, when you begin to work through what God calls us to in sharing our faith, what you find is that the key to sharing your faith well is is owning your faith, right? The key to telling others about Christ is communing with Christ. So in one sense, the best thing you could do to be able to share your faith is pick up a volume of John Owen and work through that prayerfully and really come to see who Christ is and what he's done and what the Bible is about. And then you have something to share with someone. And when they start telling you, well, this is what I believe about you know, life and eternity and God and man, you have something to respond with. You have questions to ask. You don't have to be the expert. And just think about the last time you had a conversation with someone who thought they were the expert. Was that a fun conversation for you? Probably not. So sometimes not even knowing all the details can be an advantage if you're humble enough to say, okay, this is an opportunity for me to ask. This is an opportunity for me to listen. And then based on what they say, I'm able to take the truth of the Bible, which I do know well, because I'm giving my time to meditation, I'm, I'm, I'm giving my time to the preaching of the word, I'm, I'm seeking out opportunities of fellowshipping with Christians, I'm able to bring that biblical truth to bear on whatever it is that they've brought up. So I think that's a, an encouragement for us. Yes, study and stretch yourself, but don't be paralyzed by, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, right? Um, I think another reason why it's so important to ask those questions uh, not only does it give you a chance to be humble and be the one and give the other person a chance to kind of express what they believe, um, but because so many people um, have not grown up in, you know, if you go to Saudi Arabia, people are going to be Muslim and they will have been brought up in that and they, they have a, a self-consciousness about that. For so many people today, um, they've, they've not had the chance or not been challenged to really think through what do you believe about all of these things and how do they fit together? Um, Presbyterians love those kinds of questions. So we spend a lot of time trying to connect the dots and things. Um, most people don't do that. Um, even many Christians don't do that. Certainly many non-Christians don't do that. So sometimes just asking a question helps you to A, um, draw them out and force them to explain what they actually believe because they may not have thought through it themselves. So that can be very helpful for them as they process it also helps you to not try to answer questions that they're not asking. Um, I had an uh, instance where I was um, interacting with an unbelieving friend, and I knew from our interactions he was not a Christian, and kind of some spiritual things came up, and we started talking, and I just kind of launched in. And I just, I don't know why, I just, I thought he was an atheist, and so I started kind of trying to respond to atheism and ask questions and raise problems, and he's just like agreeing with me the whole way, and it quickly comes out that... <coughs> He was not an atheist at all. You know, he's holding to something else altogether. And I had just spent a lot of time and energy um, barreling through trying to, you know, tackle this one problem that wasn't even really the issue. And I think I probably burned some relational capital in the way that I did that. I had to kind of come back and say, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have assumed it. So what do you believe about this and this? And probably many of us have had those experiences. It's going to happen. But if we can start by asking questions, it helps us to see what do they actually believe. I had a, a Muslim friend who's a student at WSU, and um, when I first kind of got to know him, I thought, okay, he's a Muslim, 
from you know he's going to believe this and this and this he's going to behave these ways and as we interacted more I came to realize this guy was way more western than I was he was from um, overseas um, but he was way more western than I was basically Islam for him meant I don't eat pork and I won't drink but he was watching way more movies than I would he would you know language and everything so I was like oh he's actually much more just a normal American college student in many ways and if I had come at that by talking about all of these aspects of Islam, it, it would have made no impact on him. So just asking questions can be a good way of overcoming the challenge of, of pluralism. Um, one last kind of public obstacle, and then I'll just open up if people have any, any brief comments on this. Um, I think a huge challenge for us that, again, is not true everywhere, is our, our culture is one of isolated individualism, very much so. Um, I was, I was talking to uh, a friend of mine who's from the Philippines, and he was listening in on a conversation that some of us kind of American and Canadian students were having about hospitality and trying to get to know neighbors through hospitality and just, you know, how it was a challenge to kind of build that relationship. And he just commented on how strange it was to hear people talk like that because he said in the Philippines, there are no strangers. You know, everyone's door is open all the time. People are out outside a lot of time. They're out in the streets lots of times. You can walk up to any house and expect to kind of have a welcome and have a conversation, and there's no kind of pressure or opposition to that. Um, whereas here, you know, what happens if someone knocks on your door? Does your heart leap with joy because you get to meet a new stranger? <laughs> Most of us go, who's at my door? Why are they knocking on my door? Maybe if I stay still, they'll go away. Like, even as Christians, we don't want people knocking on our door. Uh, stranger danger, right, is very much, even as adults, part of our DNA because it feels like an intrusion and an interruption. And if you're sitting at the park and someone comes and walks up to you and starts talking to you, um, you're probably one, kind of half wondering, are they just being friendly? Are they going to try to sell me something? Are they Jehovah's Witness? You know, you're, you're asking yourself these questions. There's all sorts of barriers that come up. That's not true in every culture. It is true in ours. So that should not keep us from evangelizing. That should not keep us from striking up conversations with strangers in the park. But we have to recognize that the things that go through our minds when a stranger comes up to us or knocks on our door or tries to stop us in the street is also going up in their minds. So how do we try to um, overcome some of those things? And uh, even more basically, um, how do we get to know people if there's that kind of opposition to connection and relationship? It can be really, really a challenge. Um, I was reading about this and, and Michael Horton made the point though he said I think a lot of us feel that pressure that it's hard to get to know neighbors it's hard to get to know um, you know strangers and share your faith and kind of go from zero to sixty like that but he said um, the reality is it's not so much that Christians are not where they need to be it's not that we really don't have non-Christians around us it's more that we're not who we need to be where we are in other words we have actually relationships where there are unbelievers that we see regularly, but we tend not to um, focus our efforts on that when we think of evangelism. E even when we talk about evangelism, you know, you might immediately think, okay, we're going to you know, go downtown and hand out tracts, or you know, you think about the big event and connecting with the stranger. You know, you're in the elevator. I need to share my faith. That, that's what we think of as evangelism. But talking to you know your mother who may not be a believer or interacting with you know your neighbor just on the driveway you know we don't think of that necessarily as evangelism and I think we should um, in fact when you look at 
how people are saved. There's been some interesting studies done on this, and it can be hard to peg this down. So these are general numbers. But um, there was somebody who did a study about 30 years ago just asking people, how did you come to faith in Christ? And they asked, you know, about, um, you know, was it a preacher? Was it a program, you know, church program, outreach event, whatever? And all of these kind of categories had, you know, 2%, 3%, 4%, that kind of thing. Um, But... Um, when, when they, but I think it was about 75% of people said I became a Christian because either a friend or a relative talked to me, told me the gospel, invited me to church. It's almost always through those personal connections and relationships that we already have that the gospel spreads. And you see that even in the Bible, right? You know, where someone will be saved, and it's not just isolated individuals here and there. It kind of moves through a community. Uh, you see that with, I mean, many of you can probably share that story if you were not Christians, where maybe you became a Christian, and then there was a cousin or a brother, or you know, and it kind of can trickle down. It doesn't always happen that way, but it often does. So let's start there, and not feel like we have to find a way of, you know, penetrating the inner sanctum of our neighbors, you know, of, of, the, of, the, of the neighborhood next next to ours. Just who are the people right around you, and, and can you be a Christian where you are? And we're going to talk about that much more in depth next time, so I won't say a whole lot more about what that looks like, but um, that's just something to to be um, to be very conscious of. Having said that, um, there might be uh, the reality is that some of us may not really have a lot of non-Christian contacts. So I want to encourage you to do something. Um, I want you to um, this 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 next week even sit down and just make a list of all the people. Um, that you come into contact with in the course of an average week or two that are unbelievers. And I'm not just talking about, like, you know, the distant connections, but people that you know their name, they know your name, in an average week, you're going to see them and have some sort of conversation. That could be a coworker, could be, you know, friends, could be family, whatever. But just write those names out. And as you have those names, make those points of prayer. We'll talk about this more a little bit later, but make those points of prayer. But if you don't have a lot of people, then maybe what this looks like is changing up your life a little bit. I had kind of a light bulb moment about eight years ago. I was um, going to this conference in Philadelphia that was for young guys who were um, kind of working through their call to ministry. And this conference was, you know, if you got, if you were um, invited to go to this conference, they would pay for your airfare and your hotel and like everything. And so I got... Um, I was invited to go to this conference and I was flying to Philadelphia and I was really excited and feeling a little proud of, you know, I'm, get, you know, been invited to kind of see, see how a cold ministry and things. And about 20 minutes before we landed in Philadelphia, this guy next to me started, kind of strikes up a conversation. It turns out he had been in Wichita for a couple weeks on business. He's going back to Philly where he lives. He asked me why I'm going there. So I kind of sheepishly tell him, you know, it's this conference. Oh, what's it on? Well, it's for guys who want to be pastors. And he just opens up and starts talking about religion. You know, he grew up in kind of Roman Catholic, nominal Roman Catholic background, went to college, was way more interested in girls and drinking. But he's like, you know, I got married and settled down. My, do- my, my wife and I have a three-year-old girl, and we're thinking we should go back to church for a, a little while, you know, so she can kind of have that in her background. And he's like, you know, I, mean, I think that's kind of important. You know, what do you think? And like, okay, so this is the moment, you know, if you've grown up in evangelical churches where, you know, your Sunday school has prepared you for this <laughs> exact scenario. This is like the softball, you know, just lobbed across the plate. And I, 
don't remember what I said, but I basically kind of just mumbled some non-answer and like redirected things. Because I was very uncomfortable and I was fearful of what if I don't know what to say and I was looking at my watch going, well, we're landing in 10 minutes and all of these stupid reasons that are not reasons for shutting down this conversation. And then I get off the plane and I have to go to this conference now and I'm thinking, what in the world am I doing if I think I can be a pastor and I can't even love someone else enough to speak the gospel to them when they're laying it right out there. Um, and I had to think about the fact that, you know, I had thought about evangelism and talked about evangelism and read books about the right theology of evangelism at that point, but I'd never really done evangelism in any meaningful way. And as I thought about my life, I realized there was not a single person in my circle that I could evangelize because they were all Christians. Now, my life was somewhat unique. And at that point, I was, you know, well, I wasn't homeschooled. But I'd grown up homeschooled, pastor's family. I worked at a Christian bookstore. I went to a Christian college. You know, so I had kind of moved in circles where I was not being challenged necessarily to do this. And I was much more introverted. Um, and so I'm not the kind of just make friends everywhere I go. And so, But I realized I had structured my life so that I kept it pretty comfortable and I wouldn't run into that kind of situation on purpose. And that was a challenge for me to say, okay, I have to change the way I'm living so that I meet unbelievers. And so I started getting involved in just different activities and things where I'm meeting unbelievers. Most of you probably don't have to do that. Probably you're more mature than I was at that point. You have work and other things that put you in unbelievers' lives. But let's be open to that. Maybe we have structured things to make it a little too comfortable for us. How can we grow outside of that? How can we reach out and connect with people? Um, so those are some of the public obstacles that I think we face. You know, tolerance and relativism, pluralism, individualism. Those are all things we have to deal with. Um, let me just quickly go through some of the personal issues, and then we'll and then we'll kind of open it for some discussion here. Um, but those are all things that I think are more specific to our moment in time. They've they've been present in other places too, but those are things we have to face. Um, but there are some things that are just challenges for all Christians everywhere. Um, because really at the end of the day what keeps us from evangelism is not so much pluralism and individualism and relativism, these other things it's our own life and heart, uh, our own affections Um, and there are a lot of things we could mention probably that keep us individually from evangelism and not all of them are going to apply to everyone but I want to just mention a couple of things that I think are probably pretty common um, issues or obstacles Uh, The first is that we're just too distracted to evangelize. Um, I don't think most of us see a bunch of opportunities for evangelism and then just turn them away. Um, What tends to happen is we're just busy with other things, right? um, We're trying to grow ourselves spiritually. We're trying to care for our families. We're trying to build friendships. We're trying to pursue jobs and careers. And we have houses and cars and things break down and bills have to be paid and just life happens and to, to find time to intentionally build relationships with unbelievers and communicate the gospel to them and you know stretch ourselves in these ways just seems it's just not it doesn't cross our radar screen almost because we've got so much else going on um, really there's a kind of apathy that's there I don't care so much about other people and um, the state of their souls because I'm just trying to take care of myself and my own um, that's a very common human temptation. We have to recognize that that's going to be 
an issue for many of us, though, that we get distracted by other things, many of them very good things. So again, part of our work of evangelism is going to be honestly assessing ourselves, looking at our schedule, where do you spend your time, looking at your money, how do you structure your finances, looking at even, you know, emotional energy, and if you're more introverted like I am, you've got to kind of ration that out and you say, okay, you know, am I... Am I leaving space and opportunity to really interact meaningfully with unbelievers and share my faith or not? And um, I think many of us maybe can grow in that area. Um, Along with that, oftentimes comes a sense of fear. Uh, That's very much what was controlling me on the plane, right? I don't know that I know what to say, and I don't want to, you know, rock the boat. And so my fear of, um, you know, bad things happening... Uh, can keep us from evangelizing. Probably all of us could share opportunities where we missed an opportunity and we could see it in the rearview mirror and it was just because of our fear. Fear is a big thing that, um, that, that stands against us. Um, flowing out of that, our prayerlessness. Um, we pray about the things we care about. Um, it's amazing to me, it reveals a lot about my heart, how um, anytime I get really sick... I become an amazing prayer warrior for my own health. <laughs> and I'm just pleading with God, you know, let the stomach flu pass from me. You know, just, uh, you know, God, please deliver me. You know, and I'm very passionate in prayer. And maybe you've had things that aren't that silly and small, but, you know, tough times in your marriage, tough times with your kids, tough times, maybe you're unemployed or you're, you're desperate for another job or whatever it is, and you are just consumed with prayer for this because you know it's a need. Why don't we pray for opportunities to share our faith? Why don't we pray for God to use us and use our church to bring unbelievers to salvation? Um, I think oftentimes it's because it's, it's not so much a priority. So prayerlessness in this area can be a symptom to show us where our hearts are. Um, and I'm grateful that, you know, I, I, again, as I'm mentioning these things, don't, I'm not assuming that all of us fall in all of these areas. We're probably each going to have areas where this is a challenge. Um, but just look at your own prayers and say, if I were to, um, you know, if, um, if someone were to look at my prayers over the course of a month, would they see regular prayers for the lost? And if they would, what would those prayers look like? Are they always kind of the general, Lord, we pray that you would, you know, use us to shine your light in the world. We like those kinds of prayers because they're very general. But do you have specific unbelievers that you can even think of that you're praying for regularly? I hope you do. Many of us may not, though. So those are things that I think can be real obstacles and issues that we have to address. Oftentimes, our our ignorance can be an issue. We feel like we don't know what to say or we don't know how to say it, so we let that keep us from evangelism. What does this all boil down to? I'm just throwing out different things. There's more we could add. I think what it boils down to is this. The basic issue that keeps us from evangelizing is our hearts. Right, Jesus said in Luke that um, you know, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the things we talk about, the things we pray about, the things we think about and dream about, all of that shows where our priorities are. And oftentimes, sharing our faith is not at the top of that list, sometimes because our faith is not even at the top of our list. And as you know, Reformed Christians, we like to think of ourselves as the really serious Christians who are serious about our faith. But sometimes it's little more than intellectual furniture. You know, is this really what drives your own priority in your life? You know, seeking communion with God, seeking to serve God, seeking to honor God. Um, I think in a lot of areas, 
if we were more faithful in pursuing Christ and seeking to know Christ and being caught up in wonder over who Christ is and what He's done and what the Gospel means and what we've been saved from and what we've been saved to, then speaking about that becomes very natural. right? It becomes very um, organic. And really... Um, None of the the kind of public obstacles we've mentioned can stand in the way of a Christian who is caught up in wonder of what Christ has done. Isn't it an interesting paradox that oftentimes the best evangelists are the youngest Christians? You know, sometimes we can learn so much that we kind of think we have to have mastered it all before we really engage in evangelism. But when someone is just saved, what do they do? You look at the Gospels. They run out and they tell everyone that they know, this is what Christ has done for me. Right? Um, they don't worry about, well, you know, have I mastered the four spiritual laws or, you know, do I know this technique or that method or, you know, can we organize a big event? They just go tell people. And that's true for all of us. All of us are evangelists. Um, we evangelize about our hobbies and our passions and all sorts of things. Um, if we're not evangelizing about the gospel, it's probably saying something about where our hearts really are. So I bring this up. I know this is overlapping in some ways with kind of what we talked about last week with motives. But I want to bring this up um, to alert us to this, but also just to challenge us as we move through this training. Um, next, The next two sessions are going to be much more kind of practical, tangible. Here's what we do. And when, when we hear that, we can think, okay, good, we'll finally get to the real meat of it. And this can all feel like filler. It can all feel like kind of just prep time. Yeah, we know this. Friends, if we really knew this, we wouldn't need the last two sessions. That's true for me. Um, if I really was caught up with a vision of the gospel um, and my life was really aligned by gospel priorities and passions, then I wouldn't have to spend a lot of time you know, reading books on evangelism and thinking about techniques and things. That can all be useful to do, right? I'm not bashing that. We're going to spend two weeks kind of walking through some of those things. But this really is the heart of it. This really is the foundation. So let me give you... Um, Three things to do, and then two questions to think about, and then we'll go to our discussion here. So three things to do. Um, These are just points of application. First thing, um, repent of whatever it is that keeps you from evangelism. I'm going to ask you some kind of diagnostic questions, and I want us to take two minutes and write out our answers to what keeps us from evangelism. Once we've done that, this week, repent of that. Seek to grow in that area so that we can be more faithful as evangelists. Second thing, um, make that list of unbelievers who are a regular part of your life and commit to pray for those people. And actually what we're going to do to make this even easier, we we actually just ordered them yesterday so they should be here maybe by next Sunday, certainly the Sunday afterwards. But we're ordering um, just little like business cards that just have lines on them so that you can list unbelievers in your life that you want to be praying for. I want you to take as many of those as you'll use you know, to put in your car, in your mirror, on your monitor, your fridge, whatever, so that you can have a list of specific unbelievers that you have meaningful interaction with that you can be praying for and working towards. Um, and we're going to have those to give out to you very soon. I think this is a basic place to start. Uh, because as Calvinists, right, we know what is it that saves people? How do people become Christians? Okay, this is not what they will look like, but it's kind of it's kind of close to what they'll look like. So it'll be just something like this. You can easily grab, take with you, whatever, and we'll have those uh, hopefully soon. But 
Christ is the one who saves people. The Spirit is the one who saves people. So we have to start and finish with prayer. Um, and then the last thing we want to do is maybe working off of that same list, think about someone that you know that you could invite to some church event. You know, Maybe it's a picnic in the park, maybe it's a worship service, um, but if 75% of people have become Christians because a friend or relative talked to them about the gospel, invited them to church, um, sometimes we make this way too hard. We don't have to master this elaborate spiel or put on this big campaign or revival. Be part of a faithful church, invite people to that church. And we've also ordered a bunch of uh, kind of welcome cards that you can just use to invite people, right? It just kind of has basic, you know, location and time and website and whatever. We want you to use those. We want to make this really easy um, because I think these small things can really be big things. So those three things, you know, repent of what it is that keeps you from evangelism, make a list of unbelievers and commit to praying for them as a family, as individuals, and then think of someone in the next month before we meet again that you could maybe invite to a Kirk of the Plains event. I think those three things will go a long way towards helping us nurture this culture of evangelism. So, before we go to discussion, I think on your sheet you've got the two questions, right? Okay, so um, just take two minutes um, and just write out your answers to these questions. What public obstacle most often keeps you from evangelism? What personal issue most often keeps you from evangelism? And they don't have to be things we mentioned. It could be something else. But just answer that question and we'll have uh, about 15 minutes to discuss before we pray. these questions. If we have time, we can get to other questions and comments as well, but do you feel comfortable sharing? What are, what are some of the things just in our culture, public issues, that keep you from evangelism? I think the lack of depth in personal relationships. I mean, it kind of speaks to isolation, but it's sort of a separate mm-hmm. issue, too. And since even, I mean, yes, you have the Facebook thing of, like, you have a million friends and none of them you know anything about kind of thing. But then you even have, I think that culture has created even in actual person-to-person interactions a sense of fluff and surface level and, you know, we know a lot of people but very little depth to it. So to get into the deeper issues like God and what you believe feels really like really intrusive mm-hmm. because that's not something we talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I think one of the most difficult things, at least in American culture, is just um, 
mean, we all are incredibly wealthy and prosperous compared to the rest of the world. I mean, even even some of the the, the poor among mm -hmm. uh, Americans are still live like mm -hmm. kings, really. Um, and so I think that's one of the most difficult things is just um, sharing, you know, the gospel is the good news, right? Mm. But um, when people are doing well and, you know, they're kind of happy with where they're at, then what's the good news? You know, what news do they need to hear, mm -hmm. I think, is mm -hmm. a difficult thing. For me, a lot of it's the, this culture of tolerance and relativism impacts in so many different ways. I mean, I've had I've had coworkers that look at me and say, I I, I can see that you're a Christian. I can see that you're sharing your faith. I can see, and I I respect you more because I can see that you're holding firm to that. Mm -hmm. That's good for you. Mm -hmm. And when you and they're very good at talking. They're very good at talking their way around the issue. But that's good for you. This is mm -hmm. good for me. And then even talking to those or anybody else, uh, many uh, Christians have. There, and there's even a sense of relativism within Christianity. Uh, the, the term Christian liberty has been abused to the point of relativism within Christianity. So it's, well, if Jimmy over here is a Christian also, he's doing this, and you're saying that that's wrong, and you're not even, uh, you're not even able to come together and agree on what's true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, like, I mean... Branching off of that point, yeah. Like, um, I, I can't remember who said this. Maybe I'll come to you later. But I, you know, the saying was, you know, sometimes the biggest opportunity for evangelism can be, you know, the pew right next to you. Mm -hmm. And so, like for example, you see, I mean, um, like you know, it's like random churches, you know, that are those giant ones that have thousands of cars outside of them. But then you think about them. Drive by and like, wait a minute. X number of cars, and especially on Sundays, full parking lot, you know, line to get in. X number of cars times four people. Like, how many of those people actually believe truth about the gospel? And then, you know, so yeah. Yeah, and that's one aspect we kind of talk about things in our culture. But the reality is, there are many different cultures within our culture, and, and one thing that is still very strong and especially Kansas, other places in our country as well, um, it's just cultural Christianity. You know, if you do the numbers, seven out of ten Kansans would say, I'm a Christian. Now, only one out of four Kansans goes to an evangelical church even once a month. So three-fourths of the people would say, definitely a Christian. Only one-fourth are maybe even part of an evangelical church, which you know doesn't necessarily mean you're a Christian. But there's a lot of people who are not going to fight you on... You know, a, a lot of issues, but they're still the heart, and they're still the God. You know, so so sometimes we can again make the assumption idea that every non-believer is an atheist. That's just not the case. Hey man, I you know we, we mentioned fear as being something that might keep us from sharing the gospel, and and I think probably the the fuller explanation of that is the fear of man, mm -hmm. because the fear of God is what compels us to share the gospel. Yeah. I think that probably is something that has struck me in the last number of years that I probably have a temptation towards a propensity of the fear of man. So I've been more timid. So I've, I've actually made that a matter of prayer that the Lord would cause me to fear Him way more than I fear man. And uh, 
And you know, here again, I'm not this burning evangelist, but but I have seen the Lord begin to answer that prayer and begin to, to share faith, even just with people, you know, not so much going out on the street and sharing or whatever, just in everyday conversations with unbelievers. And probably the way it's worked itself out is, you know, if I was with Casey and he was saying, yeah, I'm really struggling with this, I'd say, well, can I pray with you, brother? And, you know, because I just would feel comfortable to with that. Mm-hmm. But um, what I've begun to do is, is if I'm with an unbeliever and they're struggling, and I'll say, would you mind if I just take a moment and pray? And actually, I found, to be honest with you, a lot of the unbelievers, at least once in my life, are actually very open to spiritual things. And, you know, just like we were talking about marriage and things like that today at church, that they'll be like, so what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And, you know, and it's, it's I'm not giving, you know, the, the you know, the laws from crew or something like that, you know, uh, but I am just sharing what the scriptures say about certain things and, and you know, just saying, well, this is how God created us and just talking about who God is and stuff. And, and it does come down to, you know, our sin and our need for a Savior and what Christ has done eventually. It may not right away, but uh, anyway, I just find that sort of in everyday stuff, just being who I am in Christ. Mm-hmm. And not being one thing around like you guys and another thing around people that don't know Christ is probably made the biggest difference. Well, and to tag off that, when after the last time I was thinking about fear and just knowing that we're coming into this, and I was like, well, I think my biggest fear is just not knowing the right words to say if you're saying, and just I might say something wrong. And then I was kind of chewing on that for a little while and was going, I think more so my fear is not really to say the wrong thing but to say the thing right or wrong that would cause me to lose that relationship with the person that means something to me. Mm. So, I mean, not that I'm out doing street evangelism, but it is easier for me to, on the internet, you know, on my YouTube channel, on things like that, to like blatantly talk about God. And I mean, I interact with people all over the world every day online. Weird like that. And I can talk about God all day long with those people. Zero problem. But like, sharing with one of my really, really close friends mm-hmm. who's an unbeliever and the thought of her not being in my life anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's not just because I say the wrong thing. It could be because I say the right thing mm-hmm. and that's convicting when they walk away. Right. You know, that that's what's scary to me. And so I've realized that really the fear that I thought I had isn't even really mm-hmm. what was kind of stopping me. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't apply. I don't know. Slightly different but similar is, is for me, to share with my coworkers or something like that, then I have to go back to work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and what are they telling then to my other coworkers about me? Yeah. Like in my reputation, this, and that's all I'm thinking about. And I think that's why that's part of why I think our minds go to evangelizing a stranger. Because even though in one sense it's scary and difficult, in other ways it's a lot safer. Because you evangelize your family and it doesn't go well, they're still your family. You evangelize your neighbors and it doesn't go well, and now you've got to move or something. Or you're, you, know, you evangelize your coworker, you've got to quit your job. You know, I mean, it, it has a cost. It has a cost. And um, it's often where God will give the most fruit from a human perspective. Um, and I think it's an area where we have real responsibility to be faithful, but it isn't. It's also a difficult thing. And one thing that we have to grapple with, this was big for me, was I think I 
my basic assumption is if I can just find the w- right way to phrase something, then then people will either agree or at least understand. That's kind of my basic assumption is if I if I show them a gentle heart and I say it winsomely and uh, cleverly enough, then it will grab them. And then you think about Jesus, who always says exactly what needs to be said, never more, never less. He's constantly misunderstood, you know, maligned, and ultimately crucified um, for his life and his preaching and things. And we don't have that guarantee, right, that uh, if we just say it the right thing the right way, then people will basically like us. Actually, we have the guarantee the opposite, that if we are faithful, they will create problems and difficulties. Also, blessings, right? Um, but that's something we have to grapple with too is just recognizing the cost and embracing that this is the blessing of that too there's a lot more we could talk about I appreciate you guys' comments but I want to make sure we have at least 15 minutes now for prayer and then stay afterwards and let's continue to talk about this again the, the, the prayer of this class is that this would become part of our culture so these conversations need to be regular regular things so any specific um Prayer request, kind of along these lines, just briefly. Yeah. Yeah, I cannot thank you enough for peace, keeping prayer, especially Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, because 